another episode of uh, the broadcast yes a podcast of two brothers my name is ahmed bashar sayed i am nazar sayed uh and today we have the honor of having matt whitecross with her with us uh and he is formerly you know well known as a director of uh, supersonic a uh, documentary on the oasis and a head full of dreams uh which was a documentary on copa so oh, thank yeah. you for taking the time up matt it's an absolute pleasure thank you for having me Um I just wanted to real quick start on um the Coldplay documentary real quick. Uh me and my brother and a and a, a bunch of our friends went to see it the only night that it was um playing in theaters and it absolutely knocked our socks off. It was beautiful, it was colorful, it was magnetic. We went and saw Coldplay when they came to Toronto and the way you captured the essence of that concert plus the story of the friends it was amazing and then that's how we kind of linked up because then i wrote about you and i sent you the article and then you read it i don't remember if you know this and then you totally you you tweeted back at me i tweeted back at you and it was just that mm-hmm. whole experience of from watching the movie to letting you know that it meant a lot to us was amazing so i want to thank you for that oh thank you so much it's really it's so lovely because we were in a bit of a bunker making it for a couple of years and obviously 20 years before that and it was quite weird to actually kind of release it out into the open and see what people made of it but it was it was very sweet of you and i think it's oh. um it's a very obviously it's a very personal film even though it's about such a big band um so it was it's an unusual project in a lot of ways and we are not one that we ever really expected to finish or that it was going to come out so it was a it was a funny one because um we were in the end you know it started with me filming just just a few friends and then it ended with them becoming this this huge phenomenon but still making the film with just a few friends it was just kind of three or four of us in an office yeah so it was quite it was the process of uh, hearing people talk about it afterwards has been lovely because it's it was we were in such a bubble you know unusually even for a documentary that it was uh, yeah you kind of never really got as far as anticipating what the next step would be and how people might react so thank you very much I want to actually talk about how you got into directing and uh filming movies and editing. Um just so can you tell me a bit of like a background about that. Yeah, well I so I like probably in common with a lot of people. I grew up loving movies. My parents both movie lovers, particularly my dad. Uh lovers of different kinds of films. Like my dad was really into kind of um like 50s and 60s gangster films, but he loved everything. My mom was more art house. and they were um they were political exiles from Argentina um but my dad was born in in England but my mom was from Argentina so they'd met over there they were put in prison over there and they came over so they had quite an eclectic strange kind of range of different um types of influences and and tastes they would have these this weird record collection which was like all kind of latin american music but then a lot of things like the rolling stones or frank zappa but all with yeah. like with latin american titles because everything's in spanish and then they'd come over and they'd love certain kinds of films i think they grew up in a generation where if you were like a middle class smart couple you would go and see the latest film like the kind of art house release of the like the new fellini film or the new pasolini film whatever it might be yeah and so i so i grew up with them i kind of i, I was educated through their love of film but it was it's a very different time to now where we kind of have everything at our fingertips you know if i if you mention a film i can probably be watching it online 5 minutes later whereas yeah. back then 
my dad would talk about these films that he'd seen and he might even buy me a book or we go to the library and I could see pictures like black and white images from some of these films and he'd tell me the stories like Kiss to the Spider Woman or something he would describe them to me but maybe I wouldn't get to see them two or three years later yeah. and so I, so that's that was the beginning of my education about films and we just watched films we only had four channels and the <laughs> you know the especially channel four would tend to have the best films on but normally at two in the morning so yeah. either I would stay up all night waiting for it or you would and you'd have to wait and all the they'd have the ads in the middle and all that sort of thing or you'd try and tape it and normally miss the beginning or the end or something yeah. like that going on so it was a very different time um but i but you really a bit like people say about music now you really savored it then so like i would read in the paper that they were going to show citizen kane in a month's time and i would count the days till it came on the tv and then i would record it and then i'd watch it 10 times afterwards with like me and family and friends so it was it was unusual because i think now i like in common with my the, everything that i have on my phone i have access to most of the films that have ever been made on the planet and yet yeah. I end up not watching any of them. <laughs> yeah. the same five films. And the same with my five favorite albums. I just end up do, doing them on repeat, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's partly just to do with having young kids. So anyway, I, I knew I wanted to try and be involved in films. And I just didn't know how. Like my, my dad and my mom didn't know anyone involved in films or filmmaking. Um, but I, you know, I, he, he bought a, a, a camera for the family. Again, you know, phone, phones didn't exist like that. Mobile phones didn't exist. We didn't have any of the technology that you have now. So I would take the family video camera and we'd make films and we'd have to edit it in the camera. Yeah. So I would show my <laughs> I, brother I would say time. a line. Yeah. Right. So my brother would say a line, I'd say a line. So I'd have to think, which I think in some ways is quite a good education because I couldn't, you know, you had to make your mistakes and you could make them all at home and we'd come up yeah. with an idea and then you'd suddenly realize we'd missed the line or we, it didn't make any sense. You kind yeah. of learnt the grammar of film by accident in a way did you also uh did you did you go to school for filmmaking or did you go to school for something else no i never did so I, after i finished i knew that's what i wanted to do but i didn't really didn't know how to do it um but i'd be making little films on, on my video camera with friends and so i and then i i loved reading and i i thought well everyone wanted me to go to university anyway i love the idea of going there so i was like well look, i'll i'll study reading I'll study English literature. I'll enjoy that because I know I'll, I'll enjoy it anyway. And then, and it's storytelling. It's the same kind of thing. And while I was there, I mean, I was at, you know, UCL was somewhere where Christopher Nolan, even though he wasn't famous yet, he'd been there kind of five years. I before, love Christopher. He's one of my favorite directors of all time. Yeah, me too. He's incredible. He's, yeah. he's, he's right up there with any of any filmmaker you mentioned. So, because that was kind of amazing. And he, his first film came out while I was there, so I got to interview the actors. I didn't meet him, but but I got to interview the actors. So it was it was just somewhere I thought, like, I'll go there, and you know, the filmmaking thing is what I really want to do. It'll probably never happen, but yeah. I might meet people, and maybe I'll find something else. And my you know, my mum was like everyone else's mum, wanted me to have some kind of security and some safety. Yeah. I don't know how much an English degree would have helped then or now, but I've, I'll I, tell you. I feel like you're talking about his life right now. I'll tell you right now. I I am an aspiring writer as well, and I have a poetry book out as well, which I will get to. It links with Coldplay really nicely. But uh, it it was when I when I tell when I told my dad that I wanted to pursue writing, especially in a in an immigrant household, that's like a no go area, right? So it it was very difficult for me to translate to my parents that this is something I'm good at and passionate about. Because um, mostly the uh, the immigrant household uh, sort of pushes your dreams in the back burners, and they're like, first have a safety net, make sure that you're earning well and all that, and then of course you can go on and pursue. Like one of my favorite authors is Khalid Husseini, 
who first had to pursue five to eight years of, of medicine, started practicing medicine before he ever wrote a word. And sure. like, that's sort of the path that um, my parents wanted me to take, which was still, a, still we still argue about it every day at the dinner it's table. It's a hard debate. <laughs> he knows about it. But um, I totally, I totally get what you're saying with that. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm married. So yeah, my parents, my dad was British, so he had a slightly different experience of it, but my mom was from Argentina. So they had a very kind of uh, elevated, privileged version of the yeah. immigrant experience. But even so, I think it was very dislocating and difficult for her. Yeah. You know, she had to abandon her family. She couldn't go back. They couldn't come to England. Mm -hmm. And so that was difficult. And I think, yeah, you know, they were, they were, they didn't know anyone who'd done that. And so it's like, look, they knew plenty of people who'd gone and worked as journalists. They knew plenty of people who worked in human rights. They knew pl plenty of people who'd become doctors and so on. But they didn't know anyone who worked in film. And so that yeah. just sounds scary straight off. And I think the same thing with my wife. You know, I think her, she's a doctor. Her mom's a doctor. Her brother's a doctor. Her, you know, every, so everyone's yeah. a doctor. And that's, yeah, that's the family business, you know. And it's, and it's got, there's a tried and tested route. You work your ass off and then you end up with a great job at the other, the other end and a tough yeah. job. But. Yeah, so that it all makes sense. Weirdly, I think Weirdly, with I think in Iran, they because uh, she's Iranian, Iranian, they also do, they also do really revere artists in a way that yeah. they, it's very interesting. Because I think in Britain, especially, we tend to have a slightly self-deprecating view of ourselves. Often, yeah. anyway, whatever you do, but particularly yeah. with, uh, well, yeah, I mean, people probably wouldn't even call it art. So when you call, you you make films. I think me and my friends tend to think of ourselves much more as, you know, filmmakers, we're craftsmen, you kind of come up with an idea, you craft it together, it's a communal thing, it's not a yeah. kind of grand vision of any one person, even if you've got a, a burning story that you want to tell, you're still yeah. cobbling it together, you kind of slightly, yeah, you're slightly modest about it, humble about it, because, I don't know, I, I love the idea, there are plenty of geniuses out there, but the way that I've always, what I love about film is you work as a team, and you surround yourself with friends and other and clever people who all bring something to the table. Definitely, so I, yeah. I never, but, but talking to my wife's family, they're all very much like, no, it's film is art. Storytelling is art. And it's very, it's held in great esteem over there, which yeah. is always quite nice to, to hear. Cause you do have yeah. to remind yourself. It's like, yeah, of course your health is the most important thing, but then yeah. why are you healthy? Why are any of us here? Like we exist, we're, we're storytelling animals. We yeah. love to try and in, interpret our place in the universe by telling you tell me your story i tell you mine we we come together in the middle hopefully i learn something you learn something that's the way we we all evolve i don't think it's that's more evident way. than than what we're going through now because all of us are stuck at home and what are we doing to make the time go by faster or to make the time go by better we're watching movies like me and my brother binged supersonic and i had full of dreams back to back two nights ago and that's a whole different experience like you go from supersonic to head full of dreams and then like very different bands, very different stories to tell. And, but the, the whole point is that the, that's what we're coming back to, stories and storytelling. Consuming and the, art. And consuming art. And, and that's basically what we're here to do, I think. That's uh, in the most finest forms. I, I, you know, I grow up, I can only really, you know, obviously, if, you're, if you want to be a filmmaker, you have a, maybe a slightly more extreme version of this, like you feel maybe even more intensely about it. But I only have yeah. to look at how people are talking about things on Twitter and on Instagram and so on. Since they've been locked in their homes and they're finding things resonant with them in certain ways. And I definitely feel like I grew up as, you know, middle class kids in the suburbs in Oxford, you know, in a kind of relatively unexceptional area of the world. You know, luckily yeah. we had pretty it was pretty privileged. 
but I really, really connected with films. Like they made me complete. They blew every film I watched pretty much, even if it wasn't the greatest film, it blew my mind. Like it had a yeah. complete. Even though I remember seeing like Robocop at a ridiculously like, early age, like an inappropriate age, age like nine <laughs> or ten or something like that. And I walked around like Robocop for about a week, doing yeah. all the moves and everything. You know, like that, and that's the most ridiculous, superficial level. But then when I saw films that really made challenged my view of the world or made me think about things in a different way, that that really, I, and I felt like well. It can't just be me, right? It really, yeah, yeah. Every single person who ever watches a, a film, it yeah, it helps if you see it on a big screen and it helps if you see it in the right frame of mind and, and all that sure. sort of thing. But it's, yeah, they really, at their best, they can really completely change the way you see things. Yep. So how does, how does that, your love of filmmaking translate to you recording your mates in um, London? How does in your in university? How does that work? Look, we've, got, just we've, got a, we've got businesses. Hang on, I'm gonna. Uh, this is this is my family. One second. Two, hey, two guys. guys. You good? Do you guys like films? Yeah. What's your favorite film right now? If you had to choose one. Uh, oh, which one? The gerbils. Oh no, that's the one you made. We've been making films. <laughs> we made one about two naughty gerbils, magic gerbils. What's the? If you could choose one film. The only film you're allowed to keep, and we're we gonna have to throw all the rest into the river. Which one oh, would it be? No, <laughs> the gerbils, your own film. That's it's a masterpiece, man. That's a masterpiece. What about you? Would it be a Studio Ghibli one, or would it be we're gonna watch Oliver the musical tonight? Oliver, well, you haven't seen it yet. You don't know, rubbish. Come on, right? Go, go, go. You start eating without me. Don't worry, don't worry. I'm having a chat. I'm talking. Okay, you can listen to me. All right. So, <laughs> they're, giggling, they're cute they're adorable uh thank you yeah yeah no they're on good form so uh, it's, it's been nice for them having us around a lot you know I'm, yeah. uh, we both try and be around as much as we can but you end up inevitably shortchanging them a bit but i've been working we're trying to work upstairs yeah. set up an edit suite that's enough guys 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 go outside so um <laughs> uh, so the question was. So I was asking how um, how did you translate that love of filmmaking to just randomly starting recording your mates? Yes, in- well, no, so so yeah, well, with with this, so with with the band, I mean, I we were at UCL. It was the first yeah. within I think hours of me arriving in hall. So we had these halls, like student halls that we yeah. uh, stayed at. Um, and for me, for us, it was Ramsey Hall, which is just around the corner from Tottenham Road. Like it's slap bang in the center. It's the best yeah. place you could be on the planet for us at that time and so we so i arrived and you know we're doing the usual thing of my dad was helping me get stuff out the back of the car and i think i bumped into probably i think chris was the first person i bumped into and then maybe will and johnny quite soon afterwards on the sun on the same day and i think we yeah. all had dinner again i think maybe that night we all ate together and we just hung out a bit and everyone, everyone sat outside and it was probably it would have been september so it's probably still quite yeah. sunny so I just remember, you know, and we and amongst another twenty people I met that day, but it was it was nice. Like we all got on. And you never, you never thought meeting Chris or Will or Johnny that these would these guys would turn into what they are. They were, they were just normal dudes that you met and you had dinner with, and they were just friends, right? Like nothing gave it away. Yes and no. In the same way that we were saying, you know, talking about me wanting to work in film, it's like well, half of your brain says yeah, you're going to go out and you're going to take over the world and you can do anything. Yeah. And, you know, the same thing. I, my parents were, uh, you know, are amazing and they were like, you can do whatever you want to do. You, you know, you can achieve it. You know, don't, don't set your sights too low. Um, on the other hand, they're like, yeah, but filmmaking is crazy and you'll never make it. So you've got to have those two parts <laughs> of your brain. 
So I think I have that thing of like, yeah, of course I'm going to go out and make films. And the other half of you going, yeah, that'll probably never work out. Yeah. And you'll end up getting a job you hate. So I think they have okay. a similar thing with them. It's like, as soon as they started, I mean, Chris was the first person I really heard playing music and around, you know, he would, he was a very, and he still is quite an extreme character in a really good way. Like he's, when I met him within about seconds, I thought this guy is nuts, but I really <laughs> love him. Like he's really, he had, he had crazy curly hair, really yeah. big, long like mine. We both yeah. had very long hair at that time. And we would, um, he came, he'd just come up to you and immediately like, want to know everything about your entire life. It was very intense. And, uh, and I remember only a few weeks later, and he hasn't really changed that much, but I was walking to, to, I think, to uni, and I was walking down one of the corridors going to a lecture. And yeah. he came out, the, we had these communal toilets, which even had like a kind of a partition where they had a bath. And you could kind of, you know, so you could be in one cubicle in the bath, or you could be in another bit with the showers or whatever. Yeah. And he came and grabbed me. We had a, he had his guitar strapped to him. He's like, come, 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 come. Sit down, sit down. So he's going to sat me in one end of a bathtub, empty bathtub. And I, he sat <laughs> the other. And he was, because he was listening, I guess the acoustic, but also it was somewhere private. And he sat and played this tune. This amazing tune I've never heard before or since. And he played the whole thing and it was really quiet at the end. And I said, That's, he said, what do you think? And I was like, it's, it's amazing. Like, honestly, yeah. it's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. And he's like, ah, shit, shit. <laughs> you, oh, oh, it's terrible. I, I've got no talent. I've got, and even though there's a kind of slightly different, slightly more tongue in cheek, version of that he does now i think he still retains that which is probably I, why they're as incredible as they is they he was always always like that i mean i get it yeah. you know I, I kind of feel like i have it similarly with things that i work on i can see all the faults i can't see any of the positives all that sort of yeah. thing and that that's why it's very reassuring you know like to, to have the chat we're having or even just when you turn up at a, a you know like a film screening or something like that people react you can go okay fine well they get the gist of it like it's not you know, yeah, okay, maybe it's rough around the edges or maybe we didn't, you know, on a documentary, we didn't get the interview we wanted or yeah. maybe we didn't have the money to get the archive or whatever it might be. You know, on, on a when we're doing film shoots, drama shoots with actors, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe the actor couldn't find it in that moment, but you got enough or maybe the camera broke and you missed the one shot, but no one else will ever know. So there's all that kind of side of things. I get that. I just remember, I mean, it's something, I don't know how it is with Canada and the US, but England and the U and the US have this funny relationship where yeah we tend to kind of see ourselves in the shadow of the US for obvious reasons yeah. and I think people over here on the one hand they have this kind of humility that or they have which is sometimes can be fake you know and I think sometimes it's like there's almost like in search of a compliment you sit there go oh well do you really like it do you oh I'm not sure <laughs> about it. and so you're waiting for the other best so it can be just as fake as someone who's over the top and, and but the cliche about the US is it's all kind of bigger is better People yeah. are arrogant and so on. And I remember um, uh, Chris was talking about this one time with uh, with Tim. Like one of his best friends is a guy called Tim, one of our, all of our best friends, Tim Crompton. Yeah. We often, uh, when they're working on music, he'll send, he'll try to you know, get feedback. Tim's a great musician, so he will send stuff to Tim. And Tim's like the extreme example of that. Like he's so, he's a brilliant musician, but he, and you should set his, he's uh, got a band called The High Wire, who are phenomenal. But he ha doesn't have whatever that star gene is. Like, yeah. He doesn't have, I don't have, I don't have that kind of, I don't feel comfortable when a lot of people are staring at me and some people love it. You know, you see yeah. it in certain actors, certain kinds of, and it is kind of, it's a pretty key part of being, wanting to be a, a, at least a famous pop star. You know, not everyone has that, but I think, you know, you For could sure. be a musician and not have it, but, but a lot of them do have it. And Chris definitely has it. Like he'll be very honest about it. But I remember they went to, you know how that, the kind of crazy thing that, 
happens once you start re- reaching a certain level of fame where, you know, the Pope will ring up or Bono will <laughs> ring up or someone, you know, God will ring up and say, listen, do you want to come and chill for a bit? You want to come and do whatever it might be. Yeah. They got that call from, uh, I think they just finished maybe the second album or they were in the process of finishing the second album. And Chris got a call from, from Kanye's people saying, oh, do you want, you know, he's in London, he's in a studio, do you want to come and hang out? He was like, oh, I can't go hang out with Kanye West. What am I going to say to him? Was like, I can't. And Tim, <laughs> Tim was like, go, like, go along. You know, you just go and say hi to him. You know, you love his music. Why don't you just go and say hi to him? So he was, so they kind of reluctantly, he was like, yeah, okay, fine. So you got to come with me. So you had Chris and then Tim, who's like the sweetest but shyest, most humble person on the planet. Yeah. And they got there and I think, I guess they just had a chat and Kanye maybe played them some tunes or something. And then at the end of it, Kanye was like so how did you get into music the same question you can ask me about film and Chris was like wow you know I don't don't even know if I can really consider myself a musician man I don't know what I play is it really music I don't know oh my god you You know the usual thing that that he would say particularly back then I think he'd do it'd be less it wouldn't be so intense now and then Kanye was like well you know I mean from an early age I was considered a musical genius (laughs) <laughs> and like, and that's like, so on character with Kanye. That's so on character. Then they came out afterwards. You know, they, they got on well. And then on the way out, I remember that Tim was kind of going, whoa, did you even you know all that stuff about him being a genius, man? Really? And, uh, and Chris was like, yeah, but, you know, I we're, the way that we approach life and music and art is not right either. Like maybe there's, maybe he's too extreme one way, maybe we're too extreme the other way. It's got to be happy. Yeah medium where you can accept a compliment where if someone's into I, I always like the way that Tarantino talked about his films like he loves watching his films he's pretty untortured about them he likes them otherwise he wouldn't make them yeah you know and then other people like them he's like oh thanks yeah exactly and he's kind of he makes what he wants to make he gets given the kind of space to try it out and make it yeah. he spends a lot of time over them so they are what he wants like for better or worse whether you love them or hate them that is what he meant to say yeah and so if other people are into it then he's kind of like that's great whereas I think over here, there's a danger also that you sometimes, I mean, I'm getting better at this as well, but is that someone, you almost go the wrong way. Someone says, hey, man, I really, really liked something you did. And you're like, oh, you're really full of shit. You know what we're talking about? Like, <laughs> no, that's not the right answer either. You know, no, you no. If someone likes something you did, then, yeah. then that's accept the compliment. It's okay. I mean, you have it here even with appearance. Someone's like, you know, as someone was talking about this in relation to like a whole, you know, generations of women have been uh, talk, talking about their own appearance. Yeah. There's something... Uh, certainly in Britain, I don't know in other countries, but for a long time, I think hopefully it's changing now. That you know, you say someone, "Oh, I like your hair," even if they just come out of the hair salon, they'll be like, "Oh, this, oh, I just cut it myself." Oh, you know, really? Yeah. You couldn't accept a compliment. You'd have to kind yeah. of somehow downsize it. And I think, yeah. So anyway, so it's it's a similar. I get where he comes from. Yeah. So we can see that you're like, okay, yeah, you were friends with Coldplay. So that kind of makes sense that you directed their movie. But I just want to talk about how you got into directing Oasis Supersonic. Like, how did that happen? Because I I was mostly doing dramas. Like, I kind of fell into, I've been, I have done a few documentaries now, but really my intention was always to do dramas. Um, and then, but I had done a few and I'd done some, I'd, I'd directed with another uh, director called Michael Winterbottom. So we did two films together. Yeah. And I've done uh, some, some other films. Sorry, just a, I wanted to know just real quick. Um, as I was reading, I was going through your, I was doing some careless internet researching and I saw that I was going through your IMDb page. And did you, you were also the part of uh, A Mighty Heart, right? No, so so Mighty Heart, I worked on Mighty Heart with, with but only uh, helping him with the archive just for a few weeks. But I, 
so I, well, I was very lucky. So Michael, one of my favorite film directors growing up. Yeah. And um, in fact, actually, I just didn't realize in the back, back, look, here we go. Well, one of the memorabilia, I did not work on this film, I want you, but I loved it when I saw it and it, I, and he was throwing it out of the office when I started working there. So I kept it. It's um, beautiful. So, that's good, right? So the yeah. uh, so I I always loved his films and I'd always try I've tried on various occasions to meet him and I'd never got the chance that there was a Q&A he was supposed to turn up at he did when I was working at a local cinema then another time he was supposed to be doing Q&A after one of my favorite films of his called Wonderland which is one of the film festival and I was there as a I worked as a, like a student film critic and yeah. so he again he didn't turn up and then I heard this job through a friend of a friend. I heard this job was going as a as working as assistant at his his office. So I put myself forward and I didn't get the job. Um, but then the guy who got it apparently was so useless or he like he loped like day two. He like disappeared and got married. Oh Something happened. And they rang me and I was on a holiday. I was like, all right, screw it. I'll get on the next plane. I came back. And so I met him really and worked as his, his assistant and as a, as a runner for for a year. And what's so lovely about him and his producer, Andrew, uh, at the time was that they had a company together. It was very small. It was the way that I tend to work as well. It was like five, six people. And but it, it means that there's loads of great opportunities. So immediately he was like, oh, well, what else can you do? Yeah, okay, fine. You, you're making tea at the moment, but you know, can you <laughs> shoot? Can you cut? Can you write? Can you, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do everything. I know, you know, I'm going to be a director like you. He's like, okay, fine. So he, he's obviously stored it somewhere in his memory banks. Yeah. And then further down the line, I ended up, shooting on one of his films and I ended up editing on another one and and then I had this thought one night he was um supposed to be doing uh he was supposed to be doing a film he was doing a film called Goal a football film because him and Andrew were doing football mad yeah he didn't make yeah. it in the end he walked off it um because the he didn't get on with the producers and I'm not into sport particularly I'm not a super yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, there's not it's not really I don't have that gene in me yeah. Probably uniquely in the UK, everyone else is football mad, but, I, but I'm not interested. Yeah. So, and I was supposed to be editing on it, and so I was like, "Look, you should." I'd read about these guys who were known as the Tipton Three. They'd been released from Guantanamo a few weeks previously, and I said, "Well, no, you should be making this film." Like, if someone, I was like, "If someone could let me make a film, I would make a film about these guys." It's like it's yeah. everything that's going on at the moment, everything from 9/11 to Afghanistan to what's about to happen in Iraq. Yeah. You know, that's that's the film that should be made. And uh, and he was like, well, look, if you're so passionate about it, you should make it. I was like, well, I'll, I'd make it. If you want to give me like a million pounds, I'll go. Yeah, yeah. I'll make it. He's like, all right. Well, he said, okay, we'll make, we'll shoot it together. Go and see, contact the lawyers, see if you can convince yeah. them, and then we'll we'll make it together. Which for me, I mean, particularly back then, when I, you know, my background was, you know, I'd met, I'd shot basically nothing. I'd shot like a few short films, and I'd worked yeah. as his assistant and various different things. I. I thought he was going to go, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the equivalent of Spielberg ringing me up and saying, oh, listen, do you want to come and hang out and shoot Jurassic <laughs> World 17? You know, I was like, like it's not going to happen. But yeah. He, um, but he was so, and he stuck to his guns. And so we, and we ended up making a couple of films together. Um, but no, A Mighty Heart, he made after that. And I was in between doing, I was trying to get a film finance at the time. And he said, look, you want to come in and just source all the archive. They had like a section that opens the film now. That was really the first kind of three or four minutes of the film, and he just wanted me to get in loads of footage, all the best footage about the war on terror, what happened after 9 11, and so on. So that was. I, I only asked because. Yeah, I only asked because A Mighty Heart was shot in our neighborhood in Karachi. And I remember very, very vividly that we heard, like, I was coming back from school and we heard that, you know, the Hollywood people are here. And like they had, they had shut off like a cordon of the street, and I think Engineer Jolie was there, and and 
a lot of other people were there. And then as I was, re- that, that stuck with me in my memory. And as I was reading IMDb, it said Matt Whitecross, A Mighty Heart. I was like, no way. If he had come to Karachi, that would have been such a weird little thing. Like you had come to Karachi and then we were there. And then now all these years, we're kind of like on on Skype talking. Well, I have been to Karachi a few times because we, um, so we, so I worked on Michael. Michael did a film before that called In This World. And yeah. we shot traveling from, uh, well, from the corner edge of Afghanistan through then Peshawar, all the way down through Pakistan, and then yeah. ended up going through Iran and, and all the tracing this refugee's journey. And then yeah. on road to Guantanamo, we shot some of it in Pakistan, then up in Afghanistan, and then in Iran. Um, yeah. Iran partly doubling for Afghanistan and Cuba. And then, yeah. uh, and then I went back. A couple of times, and now I go to. I haven't been back to Pakistan for a few years, but Iran we go to every year. So it's um, yeah, it's now that's amazing. No better than England, funnily. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I don't, cool. I, you know, I know about four cities in in England, but I've travelled all around Pakistan and Iran and Afghanistan. That's crazy. That, that is amazing. That I don't think a lot of us yeah. knew that. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. That's a good life. I mean, I always imagined because of my par- parents' background, all the films I wanted to do were very political. And all quite yeah. heavy and serious, and I never really imagined I'd, I'd be doing music, but I love music, so I yeah. kind of I've I've fallen into it, and I'm not exclusive to everything else. Like the last few things I've done have not been to do with music, but yeah. I I love it. I just I think with any, what I, I admire people like Michael or Soderbergh or Greengrass yeah. or these kind of or like all the directors from the 40s and 50s who would try lots of different things, and I. I uh, not sticking to one thing so like the lot we're doing a, a sports documentary at the moment and yeah. i did a, a one about the Bauhaus movement just before that and then hopefully the next thing might be uh i don't know uh, probably a drama as well so so we'll see but i the documentaries the great thing about it aside from loving it is that um when it's mostly archival i've been able to have a pretty good family life and yeah. it's hard when you're doing a drama you know you're you're probably somewhere else on the planet yeah. getting up every night yeah. every morning at five coming home at one it doesn't leave yeah, I've re- yeah i had a i made a i did a shot a tv series called fleming about the life of the bond writer ian fleming in hungary yeah and it was when but this was pre-kids and when, when me and my wife were talking about maybe having a family and i disappeared you know i got the call on the monday went in for the meeting on the friday i was in hungary oh, i didn't really come back for six months you know and she came what? I mean, she's a doctor. She came to visit me every single weekend in Hungary. Wow. And she, yeah, which is pretty crazy. And, and, uh, and it was just like, okay, this isn't, and I remember the producer is married to a very famous uh, film director herself. And she was like, his one, she kind of said it. I was like, look at me. She's like, the one regret he had was he missed out on his kid growing up. And yeah. he had an amazing career. And so I, so I was like, yeah. And it just, when I was supposed to be doing a big TV series, um, Supersonic, kind of landed on my lap yeah but just through a friend of a friend i i know uh, there's a great filmmaker called asif kapadia and yeah. i think his yeah who did amy and uh, and did senna and maradona yeah. and he was supposed to be i think they had been approached to do that this film uh do supersonic but he was in the middle of doing amy amy was you know i think he enters each project thinking it'll only last a year or two and it would like amy had lasted like five years i think wow senna lasted like six years or something and so he's like, no, I'm not going to step off into another, another music project. And I, and so they rang me, and I, and I'd known the other producers as well. We'd had been talking about doing a Joe Strummer film. So I, 
and I like the idea of it, but I was like, look, it's never going to happen. Let's be honest. The, the brothers hate each other. They'll never, <laughs> yeah. they'll never, if one says yes, the other says no. But maybe yeah. I get to meet them. You know, maybe I get to meet them. I'm like, that would be a childhood dream. So I was like, okay. Were you a fan of them? Yeah, I love their music and I've seen them a few times. I mean, you couldn't, in this country, you couldn't really grow up and not, well, at least you have to, they'd have to be on your radar. You have to love or hate them. And I love them. Yeah. Uh, but I, but you know, I didn't, I don't have like any Oasis tattoos or anything. Like I wasn't a fanatic, <laughs> but I love their music. You know, they're, I think they're a big band for me growing up. And um, it was funny because the, when we were going through all the tapes for the Coldplay film, one of the assistants pulled out, She's like, have you seen this? And it was me in the mirror in Chris and uh, Johnny's flat for some reason, jumping up and down, filming myself, singing along to rock and roll stuff. <laughs> 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 which, was, which was very embarrassing. I was like, wow, I guess I was a fan. So, uh, that should have been uh, on the DVD extras. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. But, the, uh, but it was, a, yeah, so, so I was a huge fan of those. And I thought, look, if I get to shake Noel Gallagher's hand or Liam's hand, that, that'll be fun. But then I uh, went into I have like, I have a horrible I have a horrible Noel Gallagher story. I just want to segue into that. He uh, a couple of years ago Noel came with the High Flying Birds to Toronto. And that's when like I had just seen Supersonic for the first time. I was a like everybody's a Wonderwall and don't look back an anger fan. But like I wasn't really an Oasis fan until I saw um Supersonic on Netflix. And I saw the whole thing and by the end of it I was literally like I am in love with these two assholes. Like I cannot, there's no other way to put it. And so I literally like listened to uh, Definitely Maybe and What's the Story Morning Glory up until Be Here Now. And I was completely in love. And then I found Noel's solo stuff. And I was like, this is brilliant, amazing. So on, on, on Spotify, they tell you when, when they're coming on tour, right? So it said that, oh, Noel's coming in a couple of months. And I was like, that's it. I'm getting it. I'm going to buy the ticket. I'm going to be there. So anyways, I get scammed on the ticket. I lose $80, don't get the ticket, the show sold out. So I'm like, okay, that's not a problem. I've seen on Instagram that he comes, uh, you know, before the show, he comes out, signs stuff, you know. I can go and meet him, I can say hi, maybe give him my poetry book, show it, show him that, you know, that his music inspired my art. So now it's negative 10 degrees, me and my brother, who's not even a fan yet, right? I don't even know that, to be honest, that much. He doesn't even, he doesn't even care. He's just there to support me. So we're standing in the cold for like five hours. It sounds like an Eminem song now. But like we're standing there for five hours. Noel comes out after five hours and he's chill and every, there's like about a hundred people there and they're sign, he's signing stuff and all. And so I had, I had just bought um, from my paycheck, I had bought um, his newest album on vinyl and I had bought What's the Story Morning Glory on vinyl. So I was like, I'm going to get these two signed. So he's, he's in front of me and the security guards are in front of us. And so I gave him one vinyl. I, I take one vinyl, right? And I'm like, you know what? He gives it back to me. He's like, how about you take both of them? You'll get more time with them that way. I'm like, that's great. That's great. So he goes up. He takes a picture with Noel. I come around back in my place in line and the security guard kicks me out. <laughs> and he's like, you, I saw you cut. You're not in line. And like, there was a whole commotion. There was about like 20 people left. And the security guard was literally threatening. Like, if you don't leave, I will put Noel back in, in the building. And I'm trying to wave the vinyl at Noel, like, just sign my vinyl. And Noel's, like, trying to come, but he's, like, a bit apprehensive because there's, like, security guards. And at the end, the guard just pushed Noel into the building and the signing stopped. I've never seen him more sad. <laughs> it, it crushed my heart so much, man. I can't even tell you when, where to begin. I was, like, and my parents were in Pakistan. I was home alone. Came home. I listened to Stop Crying Your Heart Out. <laughs> but, like... 
an hour. It was devastating. I couldn't listen to an Oasis song for like three weeks after that. That's horrible. Yeah, yeah security. Yeah, security is difficult, isn't it? Because it's a hard yeah. job to do, and you've got a lot of responsibility. It is a hard. But there are a lot of prick, pricks out there. Um, I'm, I'm happy for you to at least that you at least got that moment. Like, even if you were like, if this doesn't come through, I'll at least get to get sh- shake Noel's hand, and I envy you. That's all I'm gonna say. No, no, like no, I mean, he, and he was amazing. I think that's the other thing. It's like often you have that thing of don't meet your heroes. Whatever, yeah, they turn out to be assholes, and but him and him and Liam were exactly what I hoped they would be. I read somewhere that you had about twenty hours of twenty hours of footage with each brother or something like that. Like twenty hours of interview hours. That's amazing. That's insane. As long as, yeah, as long as you want us to keep coming back, we'll keep coming back. And even when we finished, uh, we, we kind of left the door open to, to them coming back. And Noel was like, look, anytime you want us to come back. And as soon as we, uh, you know, I said, look, this is the last one, really, Liam. We got to the end. He was like, no, 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 I'm going to come back next week. Let's play, like, we'll move on to the third album. Come on. He's very, <laughs> they're very sweet. He said, it's, this is therapeutic. He's like, this is the therapy I've never had, you know, so I was... So they're very, very good. I mean, that's like it's it's unheard of for people to give you that kind of time. What did you What did you learn when you sat with them for so long? What did you learn that other people, other fans, would not have known? Between the two, like their chemistry and all that, what did you see? It's a good question because it's kind of uh, you know I, mean, I suppose in every documentary there's that thing that's going to Citizen Kane Rosebud thing of like what is it that makes yeah. someone tick, and even they don't know that obviously you know it's, you end up in the space of 90 minutes or two hours, you're having to make uh, a relatively simple version of their lives, a communicable version of their lives, and you try and make it as truthful as you can, but it's very hard. I mean, how, you know, someone's life isn't, you can't really get to the nub of it in two hours, but you can try and approximate it as best as you can. So it's kind of, it's a version of the truth. It's my version of the story, but they're infinitely complex people. So in terms of what I learned, I suppose, I mean, what's, what did surprise me that hopefully we communicated in the film is that it's, you know, there's all this anger between them still to this day. Maybe it's worse than it's been before. It was yeah. not great when we met initially, but it was still, you know, they'd, they'd bumped into each other at some event or something. And it was like, it wasn't as hostile as it had been. And yeah. um, I think it's one of the, one of the things about social media is it just, everything escalates, it, you know, and if you, they should should have a kind of cooling off period or something. Every time Liam tweets something about Noel, they should be like, you yeah. sure? You really you definitely want to go there? Because I think that's the problem is, you know, maybe pre-Twitter, et cetera, that this, none of this would have, you know, eventually would have calmed down. But, um, yeah. but yeah, so basically, I think first session with each of them, we'd, we'd managed to get quite a bit of it, uh, archive already. And so... I started off by kind of asking them a few questions. And then after we'd spent about an hour doing that, I was like, okay, can I just show you some stuff? Not in any particular order. I just want to show you some things we've been finding and see if it triggers any memories. And I yeah. showed them a few clips, some, some of which I, you know, no one else had, had seen. I was like, what about this? What about this? And I, was, I saw them both in both of them. They seemed to kind of, they melted a bit. Not in, yeah. you know, this wasn't like a set, this wasn't like an Oprah Winfrey show moment. And then like that, you could just see, hang on. Because they go in with a certain version of events and a certain uh, attitude to the other. And I think yeah. turning turn the clock back 20 years and going, do you remember this? This is how it was at the beginning. And being able to, and, and there was no filter. It's like, look, this is you back then with, with each other. And so I think they both seemed to kind of like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. There's, and then from that point on both of them were incredibly generous and warm to, to you know they they have that kind of amazing ability to 
to kind of same which I guess brothers do, siblings do, that they can they see each other's flaws, but they also see each other's the positive side of, of each other's characters. And so I there was that moment like, I was very surprised by that. And the and the trick for us, I think, in terms of the editing was like we have so much material now. We could make ten hundred different, you know, a thousand different um uh films. And I could we could do one version which is very sensationist. They were very funny and very horrible about each other at certain points. So we could just use that that material. That's one yeah. version. You can do another version which is very soft and where they just say nice stuff about each other. They also said all that stuff. And then there's hopefully yeah. there's some kind of happy medium. And that's what we try to do is like acknowledge the love, acknowledge the hatred, <laughs> acknowledge the good times and the bad times. And, you know, trying to find a balance within two hours. But they didn't give us any kind of steer on that. They weren't like, oh, he, you know, you can't say that or don't use this or whatever. Yeah. They were they were good. Again, they kind of stepped away from the creative process like that. Uh, actually, I wanted to ask, like, how did you... Like, so you, when you were trying to get these, these excerpts from them, did you have to like schedule them at different times so they don't clash? Like, how do you kind of work with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We tended to do one week, one brother, one week, one week the other. But um, yeah, we had, there were no dangerous moments in that sense. It was more just to do with when we were bringing in other bandmates and so on. It was like, well, you know, do we want to, do we want Liam in with Bonehead or Noel in with, but you know, it was that sort of thing. It was like kind of thinking yeah. with, Mark Coyle, the producer, um, yeah. would it be good for him to sit with someone else? But actually, we ended up doing everything solo, apart from one session with Liam and Bonehead, which was actually, I think, we, they just overlapped. And you suddenly realize yeah. that actually there's, you know, there's so many interviews with Noel and Liam in the past together. And one of them tends to shut up and the other one, or it tends to be quite superficial. So I actually think in some ways for us, the fact that we couldn't interview them together was was better. I think we would have cho- probably chosen to do that if we had you know had the choice anyway and we didn't have the choice and then i kept on thinking along along the way well maybe you know they've been so nice about each other maybe maybe gradually things will calm down and then i think just after we finished the thing whole thing escalated again and it got worse but do you think they'll ever come back do you think oasis will ever come back i i don't know i can't i i don't see why they would to be honest because i know liam would love to do it but i, I don't see what Noel stands to gain from it i think it's like yeah. i i love them both but i wouldn't want to be in, in a band with them <laughs> so, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that i would want to you know, so post oasis sorry so post oasis whose whose uh, solo career do you follow like whose solo music do you like better I know it's it's hard to choose, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah, well, I'm, no, I'm glad I don't have to choose. I mean, they they've been very nice to us, and they invite us to all the gigs they do whenever they're in love. Well, yeah. anyway, and um, so I've been seeing them both. I, I I love them. I mean, they're very they have different. I guess they're probably different fan bases to a degree. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. I I kind of we saw Noel in uh, the Albert Hall which was amazing, yeah. like an amazing yeah. gig where he did a kind of acoustic gig in the first half, which is uh, Oasis stuff. And then the uh, second half was all his solo stuff, which was yeah. incredible. We saw Liam at Ali Pali, uh, which is just a concert hall around the corner from my house. Yeah. Uh, and, and many other times, you know, they've been, no, I'm glad I don't have to, I mean, look, I, there's something amazing about seeing the two together, which is irreplaceable, but I, I like the fact that they have these solo careers. I get, you know, we get, different kinds of music i don't know i mean bands do come back together but i don't know that it generally tends to be it's not it doesn't tend to be like the creative height of anyone's lives you know they tend to do it as some kind of nostalgic thing i was lucky enough to see oasis back then when they were you know they're they're, when they were still a band and they're still together Uh i don't know i i 
the idea of them coming back together. I remember Noel talking about it. He was saying, look, a lot of these bands who who are doing it now, it's like, like it's fine. I get it. But you do it for financial reasons or maybe you do it for because you never got a chance to hit that moment, that peak. You know, the Stone Roses fell apart or they were kind of pulled apart for yeah. a lot of different reasons. And they never got to, to, to do a Nebworth. Well, now they get to do it. You know, they, now they get well, they got that moment where they, they were kind of appreciated at the scale they should have been. But, and the same with the Sex Pistols and a lot of other bands. But Oasis did it. Like, you can't be any bigger than Nebworth. You know? Yeah. What do you, you do? Can't. He was like, what do you do? Put it on for like 10 nights instead. Like, <laughs> it's like, we did it. So then what are you doing it for? It can only really be for the money or for some kind of nostalgic thing, which is not yeah. not really the, the reason to do anything. Yeah, okay, of course, there's plenty of people who weren't born back then who want to see them. But they would really be born. seeing Oasis. Yeah. What's the story? Morning Glory came out a year before I was born. I was born in 96. He was born in 98. He, didn't even, he wasn't even born for beer now. So like we've never seen Oasis live like that. It would have been nice for like the younger generation that sort of caught on with their music after Supersonic. But I don't know. I guess I actually had no idea know. how big of a phenomenon the Oasis were until I watched the documentary. So um, yeah, because for us, we would have never known. Yeah, they never made it in the states or Canada. I mean, like they were obviously they made it to a degree, but they never became. You know, they weren't like uh, I don't know, even like Radiohead or whatever. They never yeah. reached that huge, huge, huge peak. But I or Coldplay or whatever. But I, you know, there's something kind of nice about that. Like they had it in the palm of their hands and, and they blew it. That was kind of glorious as well. One of my favorite, one of my favorite scene, like uh, stories from Supersonic, is when Noel talks about Talk Tonight. I think that is yeah. wonderful. One of the most beautiful representations of, of just what a songwriter can do. Like he doesn't even remember the girl who he that inspired the song, but yet it's one of my favorite Oasis songs. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. No, it was one of the first things that I cut. I remember that, and it was much, much longer the original thing because he. He started talking about it, and then Mark Coyle, his friend, yeah. producer, started talking about it, and he was saying he he said he was he's got quite a psychedelic turn of phrase, and he was like it was alien abduction, it was alien <laughs> abduction. Like Noel went off in the desert, and he came back, and he wasn't the same guy. And yeah. he was like, there's something really, and I cut together. I kind of did like a South Park type animation all over it. And we used it. It was really it was good. Yeah, but, you know. Then it was just too much of a good thing, but but it's uh, yeah, it was one of my favorite. So what 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 are your if I were to put you on the spot off the top of the head what are your top five Oasis songs? Well, I love uh, yeah I love Talk Tonight. I really yeah. love love Slide Away, which we didn't we it was in the film for a very very long time and is yeah. uh, like if not my favorite then it's one of my yeah definitely one of my top five. But yeah. It's, it kept them so the 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 rule we had was that every song had to mean something. Yeah. Like you can't just put it in because it was a song that they had. So for example, Talk Tonight is obviously has has a has a purpose. And then yeah. um then the question was I remember Asif, who was one of the producers, and uh, and James, who's uh, one of the other producers, they would come in. So they weren't involved in the day-to-day, but they would come in every so often for a screening. Yeah. And at one point we didn't have Supernova or Wonderwall or one other big track. They went in the film and, and he was like, you crazy. Like these are your big, those are your, like your show stopping jazz. Like, I know, but they don't really fit. Like, I'm not going to have a sequence where it goes, Oh, and then, and then we start singing Wonderwall. It's like, it needs to mean something. Yeah. And then we kind of found a way of going, okay, well it was Wonderwall that they kind of took them to the next level. So we can show how they rise through that. song. I love that montage. 
of Noel going from all of those cuts when he starts from one place and then you cut off all these different performances from him in Canada, US, UK, Top of the Pops, everything. That's such a cool shot from start to finish of Wonderwall. The the gradual progression of it, it's it's amazing. Thank you. Well, no, that was yeah. So that was fun to do. So then it kind of had a meaning. Or like, oh yeah, same. Don't look back. An angle wasn't in for a long time, and it was like, well, how can it? How can it not be in? And everyone's like, well, look, if you're not going to put it in the actual film, then it has to be end credits music. But I was, yeah. I was always adamant that it had to be master plan because I was like, master plan is, is the ultimate perfect yeah. final song. Like that's the greatest. End. That is the greatest Oasis song, definitely. I think so. So so then so then it was like okay so, and then the same thing with uh, Champagne Supernova, and there was like okay well then that will be the one that we do in Nebworth. and then that makes sense. But it was difficult. And slide away it was in the film up until like a week before we locked the film and then it was like oh no we've got to take it something's got to go so we cut it out but um yeah i would say so okay maybe i'm not very good at lists but if it's master plan and slide away and talk tonight yeah. then it's got to be that a minute it has to be acquiesced so that's uh-huh. and then i guess it's uh, probably champagne supernova and i'm sure i've missed out another 10 that i love <laughs> excuse me i oh, bless you so, um, yeah, I would say. What about you guys? That's a good list. Um, for me, it has to be Master Plan, uh, Don't Look Back in Anger, uh, Talk Tonight. Um, you know what? I really like Lila. I don't think Lila gets the love that it deserves. Lila is amazing. That's a really good one. Yeah, there's later ones, which are great. We actually had a couple of later ones in there. Yeah. Um, you know, even though there was, they were kind of uh, anachronistic. I, I kind of, I like the idea of having them earlier. But anyway, then we cut those sequences. And, and if you're kind of like, uh, so what I'm like when I'm hearing you, I feel like you keep going back and forth between like cutting songs, adding songs. Um, how much creative freedom did you feel like you had while you were making this documentary? We had complete creative freedom, which is which is crazy, really. Given, given that it was their project, really, it was Noel's idea that he brought to uh to his friend simon who used to design the front covers he's a producer yeah and then simon took to asif and james and then asif and james and simon all brought to us to me and fiona my producer so it was um so yeah I, again that was another question i had is like look i love the idea of doing this but if it's gonna have someone if i'm gonna have someone tapping me on the shoulder and saying oh you can't use that you can't do this and they're like no no look, they're very relaxed don't worry about it and they were and they, it was exactly like that I didn't have any comments like they had we, were, we had to show um, film to each brother. They could watch. So this was the contract, right? Like a legal contract. We could. We had to show them the film, or we had the right to show them the film three times each, um, and they would could give us notes. And we, yeah. had, we didn't have to agree on the notes, but they we had they they had the ability to give us notes. And so we they watched it twice each. First time yeah. was like, oh, it's got a lot to take in. And the notes yeah. were really good. The notes were really like. Well, the first question was like, what did the other one make of it? I was like, oh, we didn't tell them a bit. And then the other thing was like, yeah, the notes were kind of, you know, uh, was talking more about, like, he was like, look, one thing he said was, uh, you know, we, he gave us the ability to talk to any of his friends or collaborators. So it was like, you want to talk to Johnny Depp? Because he spent some time, they were writing, there was a whole section on the third album, the writing of the third album. You want to talk to Johnny Depp? Great. So we had the, the thing all lined up and then I was like I don't think it's going to be in the film and I would like even though it would be a childhood dream of mine to yeah. hang out with Johnny Depp yeah. I don't want to waste his time like yeah. it's not, not going to be in the film 
we spent uh, a long time talking to Johnny Marr, for example. He was a, it was well, obviously aside from being one of the greatest musicians of all time, yeah. was a mentor of sorts to to Noel and yeah. an influence anyway. And then ended up, and he, there's a very funny anecdote about how he gave his guitar to Noel, and all of this stuff yeah. was in the film at a certain point. But again, we didn't. And at a certain point, I was like, well, I don't really, I don't want to lose it, but we're gonna lose something. Like yeah. without three hours. Like Hemingway said, yeah, you got, you got to kill your darling. So that that's that's the. Right. The Noel's thing was like, why have you not put any of the people these these people talking about the importance of the band? And I was like, well, if yeah. you watch the the film for two hours and you don't understand that it was an important band, I don't think having another person like a famous talking head telling you that they were important is going to change true. your mind. I think, yeah, you know. So that that was my feeling on it. And then, even though I'd love to hang out with all these these uh, uh, these people, and then the yeah, you know, other comments he had like that section at the end about the fans something that he said at the very end of the final interview and i it was in it was out it was in it was out. and in the end i was like look i need to cut something i need to like it's two and a half hours long i need to cut it down so yeah. i cut all that section out um and he said look I, you know we talked a lot about the legacy of the band and the, the, the and what it maybe meant that moment in time and that, none of that is in the film and i was like no that's a that's a good point and it wasn't this wasn't him saying i think it's important that i told you know he was just saying like that i think you need to kind of talk a little bit about what what that moment in time meant yeah, which is yeah. a good good point so then i cut something else out and we put that back in but his comments weren't you know, none of it was like oh liam can't say that or shouldn't say yeah. this or whatever you know i think it was uh it was, it was very smart it was about the filmmaking rather than about anyone's egos which was amazing. i think it was i think it was very wise that you chose nebworth to be the climax of the movie like the whole story was building up to the biggest moment of of britain's music history and i think that was a perfect send-off because by the end of it because when me and my brother watched it as brothers and half the time you were like these guys are knobheads what the hell are they doing right but at the end when it all like it comes to a crescendo and like you see them performing at nebworth the two brothers it ends with the master plan and the master plan is basically in my opinion the master plan is basically noel talking to liam sort of so it sort of ends in such a high that you don't you, you kind of forget even that they're broken up or whatever the history is after that. I think that's, it's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful end to that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I think, I think you know, because we've talked to, in, yeah, and we talked about, would, would you ever want to do about, uh, do a, a sequel or what about then what happens and so on? And I think the problem is, it's like, Danger with a lot of bands, but as soon as they become big, it becomes the same story, which is we record an album, you tour the album, you like each other, you hate each other. It, it becomes the same yeah. story. Was generally speaking, the ascent is what's interesting and what's unique. Yeah. And whether that's the Beatles or it's Coldplay or Radiohead or, or, yeah. or, or um, Oasis. And so I was like, okay, well that it feels to me that beyond that point, it's nice to go out on a high as well because we know what happened. You, all the seeds are in there. Like, what's yeah. the point of discussing that? Oh, yeah, another. Two years later, they had an argument. It's like, but yeah, of course, they had arguments all the time. So I, yeah. it felt to me that's a way of celebrating it and also kind of, it has a bittersweet, nostalgic feel to it. You don't need to keep on going. For um, sure. Even though everything else that happens, I mean, I love the the albums that come later. I, it's not, I mean, the first two, uh, I think everyone, even the band acknowledged that that was the peak, but there's some, um, the like you said, there's some amazing songs that came after. Yeah. Amazing albums that came after. Yeah. I better go. Oh. The garden. Ah, uh, we just wanted to talk to you about more about Coldplay and stuff. Well, but that's okay. Well, that that's fine. Yeah, look, I'm I'm not going anywhere. In common with most of the world, so anytime you want to talk, I'm I'm around. Yeah, but thank you very much for your generous time. Honestly, yeah. um, this was wonderful. Uh, 
it was a pleasure talking to you. We've been your a fan of your work um, for a while now, even though we didn't know what it was. Paradise's video is embedded into my mind. Uh, and it takes me back to my Karachi days all the time. So, so thank you for your work. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much. much. And then and take care. Give lots of love to the kids and the wife and, and happy Easter to you. Yeah, happy Easter. Take care. Thank you. Take bye, care. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Ma, Ami, this is all the things that I didn't do, I did